Dear Birmingham, that doesn't even sound right. Yo, brum, that's the kind of thing that I would write. That's not because you're not dear to me or always here for me, but I have heard your bark and more than once I felt your bite, so how you keep it? This is the Epic Brum Podcast, and that was the voice of Birmingham's very own Poet Laureate, Casey Bailey. Casey's a writer, educator and spoken word artist from Neitchells in Birmingham. He's earned great admiration in his home city. It's led to him being commissioned to write poetry for high-profile Birmingham institutions such as Town Hall Symphony Hall and the Peaky Blinders. Casey joined us on the podcast just a few weeks after being named as Birmingham's Poet Laureate for 2020 to 2022. Casey, welcome to the Epic Brum podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. That's great. It's really, really good to have your time because, I mean, some people may or may not know that you, your day job, you're a, you're a school teacher and at the time of recording, you, you're meant to be on half term, but I saw the picture you, you put up on Twitter the other day of your, your little schedule and it looked pretty jam-packed, so uh, not much of a holiday for you this week. No, and um, I have quite a lot to do for work as well, actually, that I've just got to get ready for when we go back, so it's uh, no rest, no rest. Busy boy, yeah, so... Congratulations, are in, in order anyway, because you've, you've just recently been named as Birmingham's Poet Laureate for 2020 to 2022. It was announced on National Poetry Day. And I know most people will have heard of the Poet Laureate and they've got a, a vague idea of what it means or what they think it means. But do you want to just give us a little flavour of, of what it's going to entail? Yeah, I think it's um, what, what I'm uh, beginning to find out is it's quite um, self-led. So in many ways, there's not like a set thing that a Birmingham Poet Laureate does. There's not like a program or there's not like a a leadership structure where someone will directly be saying, we need you to do this. But for me, it's always, you know, I applied for the Birmingham Poet Laureate two years ago as well. And it's always been about promoting poetry in Birmingham and promoting Birmingham through poetry. Um, and so that's what hopefully I'll be I'll be trying to do and making sure that communities that don't always um feel like they can access poetry and feel like poetry is for them are made to feel like um they are part of uh, what is a rich really rich scene in Birmingham and then of course expanding the the name and, and 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 adding some prestige to the name of Birmingham poetry outside of the city sure so in 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 some ways it is kind of like a, a civic role but you've kind of been doing that unofficially anyway because you've been commissioned by Combined Authority, the Chamber of Commerce, Town Hall Symphony Hall, and loads of like big institutions. So it's kind of not formalising it, but it's it, it's a bit of a, a badge to what you've kind of been doing anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. And um, in in the interview, one of the people on the interview said to me um, when I asked, you know, what does being the poet laureate entail? Um, they said, well, a bit tongue in cheek, but a lot of what you've been doing and and a lot of the stuff that I had been doing in the last two years, you would have normally expected the Poet Laureate to be doing some of those things anyway. Um, so it's good to be, uh, to, to have that title and feel, um, feel like I can say to the, to the scene as a whole or to people outside the scene, you know, poetry is for you, or maybe we do need to consider this and, and ask questions and, and hopefully provide answers as well. 
Yeah, as you you, you said, you've, you've you've spoken about wanting to make poetry more accessible, if you like, and, and take it to parts of the the parts of the city where it perhaps hasn't resonated before. So I guess it's a, a platform to inspire a bit of change in that respect. That's the plan. Yeah, and I think that um, poetry is is all over the city, but how much people feel like they can that their poetry holds a value that it really does and should be listened to as we know it should um, is questionable and it's different in different parts of the city. And I want everyone to feel like what, what they're doing is as valuable and as valid as each other. You've just done one for, for I Choose Birmingham, haven't you? The, the sort of culture magazine. So what was what was the inspiration behind that? It was a really interesting one because um, Tom at I Choose Birmingham got in touch with me and asked if I could write something and um a busy like very busy period of time and i said to him in all honesty i'm not sure um but i'll try and put together something short and just weirdly i just sat down to write it and there was just a whole poem in there that i really i needed to get out anyway i think um and so it you know i touched on where i grew up i touched on the places that i frequented when i grew up i touched on uh, friends that i've lost and yeah, it just it just all kind of came together from that request, really. Yeah, we we're, we're gonna. I was gonna ask you actually a bit later on. Get onto some of the themes that that come across in your work, but something I found quite telling in in relation to the subject of, of making poetry more accessible is, you know, you are you are a a Nietzsche's boy, mm-hmm. um, but you've. I read an interview where you said there are there are more white middle class people in Birmingham that know who you are and what you about what you do than those who come from where you grew up and I found that quite a quite a telling statement and I guess that's part of the part of the challenge that you've you've already mentioned, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that um if you if people who listen to my poetry, people who read my poetry and people who listen to me speak know that that doesn't come out of a place of me reaching out for that audience. I, I write poetry that's true to who I am where I am where I've been um but ultimately I think the barrier comes into people from where I come from often don't see poetry as being for them and some of that is and and, or they don't feel like they're allowed to openly accept and appreciate poetry and I think some of that comes from within the community and some of that comes from the way in which poetry is presented um when I think about how poetry is was presented to me in school it definitely wasn't for a little mixed race boy growing up uh in Leechels. that that definitely wasn't what i was getting from that and i think that's a shame because there are so many poets working class poets black poets female poets uh disabled poets who are potentially representing a group of people who don't feel the same who don't feel like they can access the space and it would be great if more of those people felt like that door was open for them. I think it's something a lot of people are guilty of with all forms of art, actually, where mm-hmm. they perhaps pigeonhole something that should, it's it's got a more broader meaning and more more depth to it than the way it's the way it's badged, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, but so we've we've talked a bit about the now and the poet laureate role, and it's going to be really exciting to to see you put your stamp on that over the next two years. But uh, I wanted to take you back to to the start, really. So as we said, you, you grew up in Neatjules, and I know that your observations of, of some of the issues facing that part of the city and other parts of Birmingham are kind of consistent in your, your work, and you do sort of tackle those head on. 
So can you can you paint a picture for us a little bit of young Casey growing up in neat jewels and how it shaped you and then from that how poetry and the spoken word became something that you ended up throwing yourself into? Um yeah, young Casey. What a tearaway. Um <laughs> I was um so so actually I, I say that a bit tongue in cheek, but actually I you know, between the ages of um maybe as soon as I became aware of my environment and some of the potential pitfalls up until the age of about 14, I was very kind of consciously um, guarded against falling into some of the issues that I'd seen my peers and family members fall into. And I think that came from the, comes from the fact that I was raised by uh, a dad who was very strict, very honest um, and very wise. And I was raised by a mother who was extremely loving um, and had 100% belief in her kids. And so for me, there was no need to become a part of um, these kind of groups of people who who potentially were banding together because they needed belonging, banding together because they didn't necessarily feel like they were getting that level of um, love or community from, from anywhere else. But at the same time, these people were my friends. I was still very much friends with people who were getting into issues and to get getting into problems. And I, I definitely spiraled for, for a few years into uh, the midst of those issues and, and was fully in, involving myself in in things that, I, that I'd never had any business. Nobody has any business involving themselves in. And for me, I think the, the writing uh, started when I was uh, about 15 years old. I was writing lyrics. And my plan was always to reflect the environment that I was in. So even when I first started writing, that was always the intention. I think what I realized as I got a bit older is I was actually adding to the negativity around me. So there were young people who, uh, I, I think of one specific instant, and it, it springs to my mind as the reason, It's all, I've always known it's the reason I stopped rapping for a very long time, is that I made a song and uh, a young boy who I knew had got himself into some trouble and I kind of pulled him to one side. I was like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? And I said, it's like you saying your song. And he quoted one of my lyrics back to me as the reason he'd made this like really bad decision. And that's when I became acutely aware of the of the real power of words. And um, and it kind of started to shape how I wanted to use them, uh, definitely. So that that could have had a detrimental effect then in, in that respect? Absolutely, it absolutely did have a detrimental effect, and and I have to be very honest about that. And I know that, um, I know that 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 was that was an instance that was, um, that was made apparent to me. And I'm, you know, it gives me no pride to say I'm I'm conscious that it's, there were probably more people who had heard some of the stuff that I'd said and took it as a, um, I don't know how best to pull it, took it as a. I can't remember the word. There's a specific word I'm thinking of, but I can't remember what it is. Poet laureate, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, took it as, uh, this is the wrong word, but it, it, it does a, it does a job. It took it as an endorsement of that lifestyle. Took it as, as someone saying, yeah, that, that we should be doing certain things that we shouldn't be doing. And I think I lost myself in trying to say, this is what's happening. And I definitely went down the route that a lot of um, young inner city rappers go down of, of, sometimes purposefully sometimes accidentally glorifying what is a lifestyle with no glory um and when i became aware of that i kind of 
I couldn't, I, I genuinely couldn't rap for a while. It felt quite a heavy um, burden to think about what I had actually potentially done with those words. You've, you, you talked about that. You, the, the, the terms you used, actually, you write, started writing lyrics and you mentioned rapping. So it was all, it was, uh, it started out as kind of a, a musical passion, so to speak. Was yeah, that, absolutely. Was that, was that by design? And then you just kind of fell into poetry um, I later think, on. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've always had a passion for music, but I'm not a, um, like, I'm not a musically skilled person. So given all the time and resources in the world, I would, I would not be making, uh, I would not be making music. I, I, I write the lyrics and I sit on top of the music. Um, uh, I, I started writing poetry because I didn't, so as I said, I didn't write for a long time. I went to university, um, and I, I long, very long story short, I qualified to be a teacher. And there were a group of students who, um, predominantly boys, who were not engaging with English at all, not engaging with literacy. Um, and I literally overheard a conversation between a member of English staff and a senior member of staff about these these kids. And I said, can I run a group for them? And, I, and I'll just start getting them to write and getting them to think about um, the techniques that, that they're kind of failing to access in English. English. And I started a group called Bailey's Rap and Poetry the acronym BRAP um, and um, and then the kids started challenging me to write so I would say to them you know next week I want a poem about this or I want a rap about this and they started saying well sir next week we want you to do a rap about this or we want you to write a poem about this um, and so I started writing again and kind of um, it reinvigorated my passion for it. Yeah I was going to ask you actually that how does a young person pursue a passion for something like poetry and, and the spoken word because if you're a musician, there are venues and there are promoters who can help you and so on and so forth. If, if, if theatre is your form of expression, you've got Amdram groups. If you're a dancer, there's dance groups, etc. So how does a, a poet or a spoken word artist pursue that, that passion? This is a great question. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm working with uh, some of the um, like current kind of leading poets uh, from and of the city um, to, to answer it in some respects. But there are there are poetry writing groups. Um, so there is a, a poetry writing group that I mean, currently I'm sure it's online, but normally it's every two weeks at uh, Birmingham Hippodrome called Poets Place, led by a poet called Jasmine Gardosi, who's just a phenomenal poet and an extraordinary um, facilitator. And there are there are a number of small community groups, and one of the things that I want to do as a poet laureate is, is grow these places and, and provide space for for more. Uh, opportunities because there are loads of nights there are lots of opportunities to come and perform in Birmingham um but but just that development uh, is something that we do need to work on yeah because the, the the cultural scene in Birmingham notwithstanding the small matter of a, a pandemic it's great whether you're a musician or you're into the arts or you're a creative or you're into food or whatever so it'd just be it'd be a shame if poetry didn't or wasn't sort of firmly part of that mix and i think and this is and again this is the thing about bringing poetry to people because poetry absolutely is you know we have uh some huge poetry nights hit the old poetry jam um Sturchley speaks spoken trend uh, we we have um I, I i run a night called rambler's ball which is uh quarterly um but we have regular poetry nights and if you go to um poetry jam on the first thursday of the month when you know when we don't have a pandemic you'll find more people in there than you'll find at the average local music gig absolutely yeah. it's rammed so 
it's it's definitely there. How old were you then when you you wrote your first poetry piece, so to speak? Um, I wrote some poetry when I was in school, but I kind of I, I divide the two the two uh, two sections of my life. Um, I think the first thing that I wrote, um, like that, I was at the time I thought I was taking it seriously. I'd I'd hate to read it back. Um, would have been around two thousand and eleven, twelve. So I'd have been uh, early twenties. Okay, but but what so? What about the first one where you thought, "Oh, hang on, I've, I've cracked this. I'm onto something here." Oh, I, trust me, Dan. I thought I'd cracked it then, but I was very, very wrong. <laughs> um, no, to be fair, at the time, it, you know, it was well received. Um, I was going to um, to poetry nights, and I was building a reputation in the city as a poet. So, so I think uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite harsh on it. Um, and I, I spoke to um, a very talented poet called Anne Gill, who who um, did creative writing at the University of Birmingham very recently about my feelings about my old poetry. And she said, that just means you're getting better, Casey. You'd hate to stay in the same um, place. So I'll take that. Um, but yeah, so I would say then was, for me at the time, I thought, yeah, this is it. Like, I'm a poet. Like, this is what I do. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you talk to your, your students about, about poetry a lot in terms of, I mean, well, I think back to when I was at, at school and, it was difficult to have an open dialogue with 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 teachers about arty things, especially something that you know some people poetry would be deemed as niche to, to a lot of a lot of kids, and you they they just wouldn't be if you had a, a hobby like that, it wouldn't be that they'd be reticent to have a, a kind of open yeah. dialogue. <laughs> so, so what? So what are your your students like? Do they do they do they look at your work? They watch your videos and things like that, and then talk to you about them and um, some not not. Uh, masses and I think at the um so I've recently moved school um so I, well I say recently I started teaching at my uh, my current school last year September but obviously with the with the pandemic in the middle of all that it still feels very recent um so at my at my previous school uh, the students were much more aware um I uh, I'm starting I'm just starting a creative writing group for the academy trust that I work at um so I love to talk about um to talk about poetry and I love to talk about uh, all forms of creativity and people often say to me um you know Casey you must you know people must think you're really cool or your students must think you're really cool and I'm a I'm a teacher and I teach maths and I write poems and if if you could think of a cocktail of things that would make you less cool to a group of young people then I challenge you to come up with it but um but I, a geography teacher that's not smashed cool. it that's the one that is the only that's the only thing I could have done to take it <laughs> further <laughs> no but um I think for me, um, I like to talk, for me, teaching is, has always been about the people more than it has been about the subjects. And so I, I kind of relish the times around teaching where I can talk to students, get to know them, get to know who they are and what they do. So at my at my previous school, there was definitely, a, a, you'd probably say there were more kids there writing poetry openly talking about it and comparing notes and and being visible in that in that kind of space than you'd normally find and I think that is in part due to the fact that I was there talking to them about their poetry I would get them to bring their poetry to me and I'd have a look at it um, when I published my um, first full collection adjusted with Verve Poetry Press uh, the publisher asked me to have three um, three other poets that I kind of um, saw as like the future like the next generation of poets and one of those was one of my students 
Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely something I like to talk to them about because I just, I think if there's an interest in it, then, then it's something we should make space to talk about. And I often think there's not an interest in it because people haven't, you know, discussed it in a way that they find interesting. So, so I, I'm still trying to talk to people who might think it's not for them. That must be an incredible feeling though, to have had one of your former pupils name checked in, in that way. And you to think you might have played some role in inspiring them as well absolutely it's and for me that is you know teaching is the most rewarding um most rewarding thing i've ever done i think it's probably the most rewarding thing in the world um but I, like i i knew that when i started teaching and i knew that on on a day-to-day basis but when it really hit home for me is when you know people i've taught have reached out for me and said oh you know mr bailey just so you know i'm, I'm just about to start my teacher training because I want to try and have the impact on people that you had on me. And I'm, and I'm like welling up, like, Oh my God, like, how did this happen? Did I do this? Um, and that's huge. Like I can't, I can't really put into words and people have found me out online and messaged me to say, you know, sir, when, when you spoke to me about this, when I was in year 10, you know, I was at the lowest point in my life and you helped me to get through it. You just can't, I can't put a, a value on that. So yeah, it's amazing. Wow. So you've inspired them. Who inspired you? Were there any poets in particular that, that you took an interest in when you were younger or when you were you kind of starting to establish yourself? I think I think to be honest, more and this is this is probably why I say that um my poetry I, I think my poetry wasn't very good um when I started writing poetry because I never I hadn't really fully engaged with poetry at the time. So I was I was writing like kind of like um riffs off hip-hop lyrics so it was more it was very rhyme driven it was very much about trying to be clever and witty um and and didn't really have the kind of depth that I'd, I'd like to think my writing has now um and so I think I became influenced more once I started writing and there's poets in Birmingham like Bogdan Piazeski there's poets like um, Amira uh, Saleh there's um poets like Leon Priestnell who are just uh, phenomenal poets and and also like just have a wealth of knowledge. So those three people I've spoke about there, every time I spoke to them, I had to go away and look something up because they 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 just knew so much and they would talk about things that I knew nothing about, like everybody knew it. Um, and I found it really captivating and magical. Um, and so and then I, I started finding poets like uh, Raymond Antrobus and Caleb Femi. Uh, I started finding poets like Selena Godden, Vanessa Casule, um, and and that for me drove me to to want to know more and to be better and to read more and to listen more. So yeah, I kind of my inspiration in terms of poetry kind of weirdly came after I'd started writing poetry. And there's always more, isn't there? That you, you discover along the way. That's the beauty with absolutely. So you had your your early early works and then I, I suppose it's one thing it's becoming prolific at it and developing a bit of a collection and as you you've mentioned already you released adjusted which was a book of your work and it came out was it 2018 yeah yeah so i wrote a book um so i put together a collection a short collection in 2017 called waiting at bloomsbury park um and i released it through a, a, a like a, a publishing method uh, essentially called hybrid publishing with a publisher from nottingham called 
uh, Big White Shed, who are just amazing. Um, and so some of the poetry in that would have been just some of my earlier poetry. But even that, you know, it came out in 2017 and the poems were like 2016 and 2017. Um, and then I spoke to um, Stuart Bartholomew from Verve and he wanted at the time, so Verve were about to release there, they're about to launch as a press. And he wanted me to take the poems from Waiting in Bloomsbury Park and add kind of like double the amount again and release it as a new, as like a new collection. But I felt a bit, I felt a bit awkward. I felt a bit cheeky about that because I felt like if somebody came and bought my book and went home and went, hold on, I've got half of this book already. Yeah? Um, they feel like I ripped them off. Um, so the books, the poems in progression almost exclusively were written between early 2017 and early 2018. The synopsis on the book says, Casey's poems should break under the weight of the joy they contain and the grief they depict, which kind of suggests it's full of quite extreme highs and massive lows as well. Is that accurate? Or Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did this, I had this weird um, thing where I, I read the book at um, Sturchley Speaks and I have this really weird thing. So I write poetry. Uh, it also happens when I read other people's work in my head compared to when I read it to other people. And when I read it at Sturchley Speaks, I just became acutely aware of how sad it was <laughs> uh, in a lot of parts. And I do have a bit of a, a reputation of being uh, the happiest poet, with the saddest poems, um, which I'm not worried about. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that reputation. It's fine. Um, but, but yeah, there are some extreme lows in there, but there are definitely some, some real moments of joy. Um, and, that, and I guess that's, that's life as I've known it. You mentioned Verve Poetry, who are they're, they're Birmingham based, aren't they? And it seems like they've got a really good stable of, of poets. Verve have got some phenomenal poets, and uh, I think that the way that Verve operate and the the talent that they promote from the region and the talent that they bring to the region uh, is amazing. So yeah, you can never say enough good things about Verve. Sure, you you've mentioned a few people that whose work you, you really admire, but you, you also meet and perform alongside a lot of other spoken word artists who yeah. a lot of us won't be familiar with. So do you want, is there anyone you want to tell us about or give a quick shout out to who, who you admire and you'd recommend that people go and check out? Oh, well, yeah, um, there are loads. Um, Hannah Swings from Birmingham. Hannah Swings is a, is just an absolutely phenomenal poet who writes some gorgeous poetry uh, and he's great to watch. Uh, she has just a, an amazing kind of, um, presence on stage so yeah Hannah Swings definitely Jasmine Gardosi uh, in my opinion is uh, the standout performance poet in the country she's she's extraordinary uh, she's from Birmingham as well um, Adrian B Earl is another Birmingham poet um, and I think I definitely have to say if you get the chance go and see Jamie Thrasavulu from Derby Jamie Thrasavulu is an absolute whirlwind of poetry and yeah he's just amazing so yeah Fantastic. Some great names to look out for there then. Um, we're going to get on to talking about Birmingham in a minute as a as a city and some of your favourite things about it. And But I think a natural segue into that would be to touch on a couple of your best known pieces. And the obvious one to start with is, is Dear Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I will stay around like the rotunda. I don't need 10 letters. You know that ain't me. You know I smile Birmingham, H-O-M-E So wherever I may be I will carry your thoughts with me 
forever yours. Mr. I'm in love with my city. I've 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 listened or watched it on YouTube a few times and it's it's very deep and it it kind of feels like it's a a piece of of two halves really. Mm. You're venting your frustrations, Brom, Brom. I love you, but at times you feel like you've betrayed me. Um, and it, it mentions Charlene Ellis and and Letitia Shakespeare mm-hmm. and what tragically happened to them. It mentions the collapse of Rover. It mentions Cadbury selling out to America, and then and then it goes into the second half and. You, you remind us that it's still like the you know, birthplace of your dreams and you talk about being expi- inspired by walking along the canals. So it's it's kind of, as I say, a poem of, of, of two halves and it's quite quite bittersweet. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that is the best way to sum it up. It's very bittersweet. And uh, so I wrote that poem for, there was a show that was happening at the time called Ten Letters uh, and another kind of Birmingham uh, icon of poetry, uh, Spoz, had, had asked me to be involved. And I kind of, I really umdenard over it for ages, and I almost wrote a letter that was like, um, like a like an offset letter to Birmingham. I'm so glad I never did that. What a ridiculous idea that was. Um, but in the end, I I got stuck because I, you know, I was writing something really nice, and I thought mm, it feels too nice. And then I was writing something that was quite, I think, angry would probably be the best way to say it, and it, and it felt too angry. And in my head, the way I got around it is, I thought I need to think about Birmingham like my older brother. And I absolutely love my older brother. Um, and he's he's like a hero in my life. But sometimes he used to punch me in the ribs really hard and I couldn't breathe for ages. Um, and so <laughs> and so Birmingham has these, you know, it, it has my love and my adulation. But at the same time, it's it's given me a few gut punches. Um, and so that, that was kind of my mindset when I wrote the poem. That's a fantastic analogy, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure, as I'm sure anybody who's got a, a an older sibling will probably <laughs> tell you. Um, then the, the other one that I think a lot of people will be familiar with for obvious reasons was the, the Ballad of the Peaky Blinders, which the BBC, I think they used it ahead of season five of the they show. Did. Yeah, yeah. And it was, a, it was a bit of a recap with your words of what had happened so far in the first four seasons. And there's a, there's a great video of you with footage from the show interspersed. Mm-hmm. And so how, how did that come about? Did it come from the BBC or did it come from Stephen Knight or how did it so yeah this is it's an interesting one because um I'd met Stephen Knight on two occasions um before before it came about I met him when uh Birmingham bid to um bring Channel 4 to the Midlands um and I met him uh in France I was was performing for the West Midlands Combined Authority in Cannes and he was there at MIPIM yeah and um and he introduced me to the stage. I just think back 10 years, you know, Stephen Knight, the writer of the Peaky Blinders, introduced me on the stage in Cannes to perform my poetry. It's all a bit surreal. Um, and so we spoke then again. Um, and so when I got the call, I presumed that he had said something or put kind of put the ball in motion. And so so when I said that to the, the woman who called me, is called Carrie, absolutely like amazing producer and just a legendary person. Um and I said, "Oh, has this kind of come through Stephen Knight?" She said, "No. What do you mean?" And I was like, "Because I've I'd like I've met Stephen Knight and he's seen me do some poetry." And she said, "Oh, no, no. Um, we've just found your stuff." Um, and I I remember saying, probably one of the most exciting moments of the whole thing is I said, "Well, what other poets are you considering for this? Because normally you have a commission in mind, you want a poem written, and you start thinking about who you might want to write it, or you open up an applications process." And she said, "You know, we." 
we've only got you in mind because we didn't want a poem and then come to you. We saw your work and then decided we needed a poem like from you. And I was like, oh, wow, um, for the Peaky Blinders. Um, and and I remember seeing the finished thing with the full, like, you know, BBC overlay and all the words and lettering and everything. I was just mind blown. Um, so, yeah, they just called me up and said, could you, do you want to write us this poem for the Peaky Blinders? Mm, yes. Yes, I do, actually. Wow. <laughs> they They do have a great eye or ear for, for stuff like this actually the BBC because I remember when just digressing slightly when I worked for Aston Villa Villa were playing West Brom in a big local derby in FA mm. Cup quarter final and they did a similar kind of trailer for their coverage for the, for the game and they used Benjamin Zephaniah amazing and it was in, in it, yeah it was it had that same kind of power behind it and as I say they it shows they do have a somebody out there is, is doing their their research and their yeah. homework um but just wanted to ask about the, the creative process then for, for something like the, the Ballad of the Peaky Blinder because you, you're you used to writing, channeling your your own thoughts, I guess. But then I guess you, you, you've, 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 you're then taking on writing about a very specific subject with a distinctive set of characters yeah. that's four seasons in that people are already familiar with and invested in as well. Yeah, I think I think writing commissions is one of my favourite things to do. Um, because I, I was going to say something really stupid. Then I was going to say I could write about anything. I'm sure I couldn't. Um, but I feel like there, there is um, a skill to writing, which is connected to the emotion behind what you write. Well, it's not. It's not kind of like inextricably linked. It's not something that doesn't stand on its own. Um, and so, and I always find this at work. People say to me, like my emails, you know, that email was very well written, Casey. And I think, yeah, because I like to write things. Um, and so I, I love people saying to me, oh, could you write us a poem about this? Could you write us a poem about that? Because it just gets my gears turning in a totally different way. And the Peaky Blinders, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. And so as soon as, uh, as, soon as it was said, and I got kind of like, four or five key points that they wanted mentioning uh, and a kind of, and a mood that they had in mind. As soon as I got that, I was like, this is, it just came to me really um, naturally because it's something that I do know. It's just not something that I would normally choose to write about. And so, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And there are elements, little small elements of it that are, that are, are very much me. Like if somebody else had written it, they would not have written, you know, catch the gang at the garrison. They, they wouldn't probably not have gone for that, that, that kind of turn of phrase um so yeah it, it was a it was a really good process i really enjoyed writing it but now, now you've explained what you you've said about how the 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 bbc had, had they they discovered you and they'd really done their, their homework on on your style that it, it makes it makes sense now because i think they if you were a if you were a bit of a sort of happy clapper poet yeah for, for want of a better phrase then that, that that gig wouldn't have been a good good fit for you, would it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think also I'm not uh I I I I don't write in a very abstract way. So sometimes I might use kind of abstract phrases or uh, a, a little bit of a segue or a little bit of a tangent with a metaphor, but I tend to be quite direct in the way that I write, which I think they needed they didn't want somebody to turn the Shelbys into a forest. And speak about how they grew like trees, and then John fell. They needed, they wanted someone to to give them the direct 
kind of thing. And I think the other thing that I like about commissions is often when I write, I have no idea where it's going. So I start writing, coming up with ideas and I get to the end of what might be the end of the poem. And I'm like, I didn't realize that that's what I needed to write about. Whereas with a commission, it's like, oh, they say, I need you to write about this and I say, okay, I kind of know where this is going now, um, yeah. which is helpful. Yeah. Did, did you have to kind of go and, and recap some of the show to? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, so I'd, I, I'd already watched, um, you know, all the series to that point, but I wanted some, some key kind of markers. And so I, I looked up, I went on YouTube and just top 10 Peaky Blinder lines. So the, the, the opening line, how many fathers and how many sons, uh, there's an Alfie Solomon's quote where he says, how many fathers and how many sons have you cut, killed and murdered? So that how many fathers and how many sons came from there and then went off in a different direction. Um, there's another line, we're all whores, we just sell different parts of ourselves, which is a line that that Grace says directly to Tommy. Um, you know, we're all whores, Tommy, we just sell different parts of ourselves. And so some of those lines, uh, I even manipulated or, or, or just took straight in and then twisted, pivoted from. And really brought some of the characters into it as well, which is... Yeah, that was the plan. Speaking of your commissions, I, I really enjoyed the Town Hall Symphony Hall one actually which is a completely different uh yeah. tone was it making making an entrance making an entrance yeah yeah and it was it was beautifully shot as well it was amazing the city at night time the lights twinkling away in the background and some of the sort of landmark buildings and yeah. it was just that what that is a great advert for birmingham i know you you talked about the the, the love hate relationship and the big brother analogy but that yeah. really was a way to show the city at its best absolutely and i remember going to film it um, I th- I literally thought I was going to show up, you know, face to camera, down the barrel, read the poem and go home. Uh, and it was like super late. So it was it was after work, uh, hence why I was dressed for work. Um, <laughs> and and I remember I showed up and uh, the camera was there, Ollie, and he said, right, so we've got five. Um, and he had a, um, you know, like a hoverboard, like a Segway under his arm, backpack on, full of camera equipment. And he said... Um, Right, so we've got five locations, and my first thought, and it was cold, and my first thought was, oh, man, I'm going to be here all night. Um, and as we went through and he spoke about his vision and why we were at different locations and so much thought went into that process, um, and, I, and I just felt like, actually, I've, I've written something, and someone has, has read it and listened to it and gone, how can we now capture the 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 visual that does that justice? And it was just, when I, when I saw the final thing, ah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it to, to go on and watch that. And I think watching it back now, it's a, it's over a year old, isn't it? Yeah. But it, watching it back now, given what the, 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 the arts and culture sector is, is going through, it feels quite poignant mm. as well yeah. to, today. Just wanted to, to, to finish off really with a few general questions about Birmingham as as someone who's written a lot about the city, what what makes you most proud about Birmingham or being from Birmingham? Um, I think I don't I don't know if this is just um, like everyone feels like it about where they're from. I don't know, but I think for me, Birmingham, uh, it, it's a place where very different, and I and I think Nietzsche's epitomizes this. Um, within the city it's a place where different people from different uh, walks of life and backgrounds uh, can kind of coexist and I don't think 
that there's always parity and equality. And, and I think that's probably true of everywhere in the country. But I do think there is a, um, in, a, in, a in most parts of Birmingham and at most times, there's a real mutual respect for each other um, that I love. I really love that about the city. Sure. And we've we, we've talked a lot. A lot's been said about the transformation the city, particularly the city centre, has undergone over the last few years. So what excites you about Birmingham? as it is now? Um, I think for me, I think what I love about Birmingham, um, which I I don't know, I might be slightly dodging your question, but I don't think so. Um, I think what I love about Birmingham is the way that you have the town hall sitting right next to number one Chamberlain Square, you know, leading through to the new library, uh, which where you put then you back onto Brindley Place where you've got the canals that have been here before everything else was here. You know, the way that the council house sits with skyscrapers around it. I think that kind of marriage in Birmingham of the old and the new uh, is beautiful. And I always say about Birmingham that, you know, people go to Rome or go to Athens and they stop and spend, you know, minutes taking photographs of buildings and there are better buildings in Birmingham and they walk past them every day on the way to work and you walk past a town hall every single day but will stop for that Rome in Athens to take, for that, picture in Athens to take the photograph um, and I just think that we have a beautiful um, mix of the new and the old um, and the old it still looks so so beautiful in Birmingham I can feel a tourist board uh, commission coming on here <laughs> but it's been beautifully put though and what what's we, again we talked about the, the the culture and the 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 whole the whole cultural scene really and we said as we said if you if you love music if you love food if you love theatre if you love the arts and all these these things and of, of course poetry what's the i wondered what's what's your favorite venue or place that you've performed at in birmingham um my favorite venue in birmingham uh without question is the town hall i absolutely love the town hall um there are probably ven- and i've performed at the town hall which was a real privilege um there are probably venues where i preferred performing if that makes sense but but I, I love everything about the town hall. Um, so, yeah. It's got so much history as well. Like the Beatles yeah. performed there back in 64 or something, I think. Yeah. So, I also saw Kano perform at the town hall, and that was epic. Wow. <laughs> and finally, we, we ask everybody this. This is the Epic Brum podcast. So we always finish off by asking, and you've just used the word yourself, what makes Birmingham epic? Uh, for me, there are a lot of things. But if I had to pick one thing... Uh, for me in particular, that if if Birmingham lost it, I think I'd be lost in Birmingham. It's the canals. Um, And people, you know, we have the kind of back and forth of more canals in Venice. Yes, but it's not as pretty as Venice and and all the back and forths. But for me, I, when, when I was at, when I was at a loss for creativity, a loss for identity in Birmingham, I would go and I would sit on a canal. I'd put my headphones on and play a hip hop beat and I could write all day long. Um, and there's just something, you know, it's, it's clearly very hyperbolic, but something magical about um, the canals of Birmingham. So that's what makes Birmingham epic for me. Superb. Well, it is something we're really proud of, as, as you say, and to hear somebody put it like that and be inspired by it, it just kind of reinforces it. Mm. So, Casey, thank you very much for, for joining us on the Epic Brum podcast and enjoy the rest of your, your busy half term. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Epic Brum podcast. If you like what you heard, you can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Epic Brum HQ. Oh, <laughs>